ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Rounding the Earth podcast. Uh, you know, I usually have a script open when I do this introduction. And as I hit go live, I realized I hadn't pulled it up. So I'm going to improvise this. Rounding the Earth is, what, what, what would you say? The gathering of people who take no formal stance on the shape of the Earth. Uh, would be the first thing I would say. Uh, the second thing is, uh, this is where uh, people gather to discuss important issues that are normally not talked about in uh, extensive enough detail, or something like that. But for those of you who uh, have joined us before, you know that Rounding the Earth is uh, based on the popular Substack series written by applied statistician and educator Matthew Crawford. And you can uh, keep up with us by going to runningtheearth.locals.com, runningtheearth.substack.com, or of course, subscribing here on wherever you are watching. Uh, my name is Liam Sturgis. I am co-host of the Rounding the Earth podcast, and my usual co-host, Matthew Crawford, may well join us at some point. He's just recovering from uh, another night of very hard work, as he always does. Um, but I'm very excited today because for the first time, we're having uh, an open round table where our guests are the members of Operation Uplift, which is, well, I'm going to have uh, some of them explain what Operation Uplift is. So let's bring them on. I'm going to come one by one. First, allow me to introduce Cody Porter, then Diane, and finally, Gabriel. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show. Thanks Great for having to be me here. Um, so, uh, I don't know about you guys, Cody has gone black on my screen, um, and I prefer, I prefer his, his, uh, his handsome face, so hopefully that reappears. Um, but in the meantime, do you want to introduce yourselves to the audience who may or may not be familiar with who you are? Let's start with Cody. Uh, can you see me now? Yes. Yes, sir. Excellent, excellent. Uh, so my name is Cody Porter. I've been an a member of Operation Uplift since um, pretty early. Um, I helped run it for a long time, and now I've taken a more of a backseat. Um, I was on. I've been on this program once before, interviewed with Matthew. So anybody who's interested can look up the past interview on that. And um, if you have any other questions, I guess Liam, let me know. Yeah, I just uh, maybe you could pitch the topic of discussion that you and Matthew had because it was quite interesting. Could you give us just a you know a one-liner of what it was? Yeah, yeah. So uh, my work is with um, a certain receptor called Rage receptor for advanced glycation end products, and um, I think it has more of a role in the possible a possible role in spike protein induced damage either from COVID or from the vaccine. And so we did a, an interview talking about how I think that has a role in uh, spike protein induced damage. Awesome. So I'll make sure to uh, grab a, a link to that interview and uh, put it in the chat as we keep going. Um, wonderful. Diane, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Diane Beagle, and um, I'm one of the few people in Operation Uplift that doesn't know anything. I'm kind of the, I'm kind of the team mom. And, and sometimes a life coach, and sometimes I am needing life coach work. I'm in Houston where it's raining. And um, I was just playing around when, when Etienne posted the link and I hit it and here I am. This, <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is unplanned. I am in my kitchen, as you can see. 
Yeah, when when you came in, one of the first things you said was, "I didn't mean to be here." Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's sort of that's sort of, um, uh, in a sense, sort of the nature of Operation Uplift as a group of diverse people with diverse skill sets. I, I think you do know a lot of stuff. I don't think you're giving yourself enough. Well, time I, I, let me do. Okay, I'm a generalist, and I have been in this group since almost the very beginning. Yes, so, you have. August 21-ish or something like that. Um, and I want to dive into a bit of the background of Operation Uplift in a minute. But finally, Gabe, now, Gabriel, you're someone who is, you're probably becoming quite familiar to the uh, Rounding the Earth audience, uh, which is, I think, a fantastic thing. But for those who may be tuning in for the first time, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, I mean, I consider myself one of the newer members or junior members of Operation Uplift. I had recently got in touch with Crawford asking about how I could make changes to the wiki because there are certain elements that I wanted to expand on the Canadian context for, which was great getting to know Liam, who is also Canadian. And I had seen it was already well in good hands already, but I'm grateful to have been able to add and it seems like I have found a good place to talk about some of the issues I really care about which I do really appreciate and of course you got your um your own initiative that itself could uh have a team of 125 people <laughs> running with you but you do it all on your own at Liber Solutions Network can you tell us about that very briefly yeah my goal with that is really to market online freedom because there's a lot of things that people could do but I want to explain why first and foremost. Hmm. Um, well, that's fantastic. So let's before we dive into the the uh, the prompt, the topic of discussion, which is DDoS attack on the mind. I think it would be wise for us to just briefly explain what Operation Uplift is. Maybe provide just a bit of historical detail um, and address some of the projects that have been mentioned. The first being, of course, the Campfire Wiki which, um, Cody, as far as I understand, you were instrumental. You were one of uh, a couple of people who physically created the thing and deployed it and uh, maintained the admin keys that even I don't have. <laughs> um, so could you, could you give us a little background on, on what the Campfire Wiki is, how it came about, and um, anything else surrounding that that, that, is, uh, uh, that, is, that is important? Yeah, so it's sort of a, um, it's our group's, attempt to catalog the research that we've done to um, kind of synthesize and bring together a lot of information because when we were first starting it and when we were forming right after the pandemic, there was a lot and it was very difficult to keep repeating ourselves and to keep track of everything. And so we thought, well, what if we put it all in one place? And so, yeah, I mean, I was in discussions with the, the name formation. I think Matthew eventually was the one who came up with it, but uh, we were in getting there into the ballpark for it. I mean, I helped put it together. Um, I am I am one of the admins for it, even though I've not um, been as active as some of the other members on it lately. Um, you know, I, I helped put it together. And so I think that um, I'm, I'm very proud of it, uh, of the work that we've all done there. And so it was it was interesting because I had never I had never, you know, <laughs> who develops a wiki? I'd never done it before. And so it was a lot of work figuring out what service to use, um, how to get it set up, uh, how to, you know, I put a lot of time into trying to come up with a, a backbone for how to store and sort the information. And then we ended up kind of scrapping that and going with a more organic approach, which is has its benefits and, and pitfalls. So, you know, I think it was a lot of fun to, 
to do. And I think it is good to have a place where this kind of information can be organized and uh, <clears throat> distributed. Yeah, and the project does continue to evolve as we ask, what are the things that are even relevant these days as the COVID-19 story, at least officially, according to, say, the WHO, has now wrapped up? Uh, uh, it's, you know, it's come up in conversations. Uh, Gabe mentioned, well, are there other topics that maybe would not, to the average eye, seem to be relevant that maybe we haven't put as much thought into uh, uh, organizing information on, but maybe now's the time to do that. So it's interesting. It remains a dynamic project. Um, but uh, the fact that it got up and running in the first place, as you suggest, is sort of unique. And um, I think you did a fantastic job pushing that boulder off, off down the hill where it continues to gain steam. So thank you for doing that. Um, thank you. Now, I'm curious. Uh, I'm curious. Uh, because this was, if I'm not mistaken, was this one of the first projects that Operation Uplift undertook? And furthermore, how did Operation Uplift start? What What is it? Uh, Cody and Diane, I know you two are around before me. I, I came on, um, I don't know, I guess it would have been around August, September 2021, maybe even later. Um, but do you guys have some insight? Were you there at the very beginning? What is Operation Uplift? <laughs> <laughs> Diane, were you here before I was? I can't recall. It, it, I don't know. I, I think maybe we were semi-simultaneous. Visceral Adventure wrote the best description. And had I play, no, known you were going to ask me that, I would have had it in front of me. Um, but I don't. So uh, to me, it, it just was this really oddball assortment of people worldwide who just did a just a crazy great job of curating information and and there wasn't real there weren't really projects because we there wasn't any mission per se at the time it was just a group of like-minded people going what the hell's going on here and and what would happen is that everybody i mean everybody is just blasting stuff in the chat and then and then like it was something like what the hell and everybody nobody said a word and we were all off trying to source something that we found just incredible like the life insurance guy when he you know is this real did he really say this here i found the source video and everybody's blowing and going for like you know hours and it, it to to vet out a, a news headline or an article and um it's just amazing and it was like it was like we had some sort of something keeping us all in lockstep but what we didn't but we all came together everybody was doing the same thing to the same end and so when i told people about the group i would say it's the most intelligent group of curators i've ever come across i mean that's where you get your COVID news <clears throat> excuse me my yeah. uh Go ahead. No, 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 please, Cody. My experience was slightly different, but very similar. Um, you know, when I joined the group, it was pretty early. I can't recall exactly when, but it was when Matthew first said he needed a, uh, a research assistant or somebody to That's help. That's what him I out. started. I, I was so it must have been, yeah, yeah. I think maybe you and I both did, and I don't remember which was first, but, you know, he, he had found somebody by the time that I 
asked him, uh, but he said, hey, you know, do you want to join our group? It's just started. And um, I said, well, of course I did, <laughs> as, uh, you know, posterity shows. Um, but for me, it was more of, it, for me, it was really a collection uh, service because you guys are all so good at finding stuff from all over the internet. And so you would all post it into, into a, a chat system. And I would have a ton of things to look at and say, do I believe this? Do I not believe this? How much evidence is this? How much evidence is that? And it was very useful because I have a scientific background. And that was helpful because when I, when I would read them, people would say, is this something I should care about? How, how important is this? And it, it forced me to sort and analyze and uh, synthesize and discuss a ton of information really fast. Because as we're going to talk about today, the speed at which it was coming at you was just almost insurmountable. And so I think it really helped to have not only it, it, it killed any sense of uh, echo chamber for me because I wasn't looking in just one spot or another. I had people had, you know, at one point we had 150 people who were just pushing out stuff into this feed saying, I found this on this part of the internet or this over here. And how do we believe, how much do we believe it? How do we weigh it? Is this something we should care about? And so it became um, just for ourselves, just as a, as a personal sense-making apparatus, it became very valuable. And we realized that, uh, and to answer your earlier question, the wiki was very early, but we realized like, this is valuable to us how do we make it valuable to other people? Yeah, that's the key. Well, and, and I'm also curious. Um, I, I think this is a good place to transition into our topic, but I want to do it in a in a bridging way. I'm curious as to how each of you first connected with, uh, it, well, in this case, we can say Matthew as the sort of team lead or the, um, I believe at one point he called himself a, benev a benevolent dictator, uh, tongue in cheek. But how did you guys first connect with Matthew or with each other in a way that then led to the group? And I asked the question through the frame of not only is there just a fire hose of information always, um, and, and particularly uh, early on, it was difficult to know what was real and what was not. We have a much better grip now, I think. But it was also that there were so many messengers and there were so many people where it was very difficult to know if people had good intentions or if people were bots or if people were bad actors. Um, so I'm curious how you each connected with this larger group or with Matthew. Uh, Gabe, how about you as, as someone who's more recently connected? Yeah, I mean, I had been following Matthew a while, not very closely, but I would see either his comments on various social media or Substack itself. I would sometimes butt heads with him, you know, in the early days over the mass formation psychosis discussion, because that's that's a contentious issue, right? Um, and so I got in touch with him to see if I could contribute to the wiki. But I will also say that it was really nice uh, getting to know Visceral Adventure, who's also been part of the Spice Girls project and a bunch of other multimedia efforts to communicate a lot of the stuff we discuss on the wiki and in, during this crisis, so to speak. Yeah, wonderful. And then, Diane, how did you uh, initially connect? Because you, you, you respond to a call for, you know, assistance with research. But how do you even... I, how do you even first find these people who are then putting out the calls? How, how did that connection first come about? 
God, I I don't remember. So long ago now. <laughs> I, it just it seems like it seems like a long time ago. Um, I was so I was so underwater here with this stuff, and I'm trying to think. And I'm just I was just pulling threads um, out there, mostly via probably Twitter. Um, and having having kids, I was really interested in the vaccine and the dangers thereof. So I was all over that because I had explored the HPV vaccine 10 years prior when it was suggested mm -hmm. my girls get it. And uh, came down with a hard pass, got, you know, had words with the pediatrician who told me I was crazy and do I want my girls to get cervical cancer? I said, well, of course I do. No, what are we, idiot? Anyway, um, yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I want. Um, anyway, so I'm trying to think. It was just, it was just through thread pulling. I, I, I mean, I think, I, I but I, I don't recall. I'm sorry. Yeah, a testament to how long it's been going on. How about you, Cody? I'm afraid I'm in a similar boat. <laughs> I just uh, I remember there was a Discord channel. Yeah. And Bonnie oh, was yeah. on it and you were on it. I, I just don't know. Well, right. But I mean, that happened in, in August. I think I found Matthew okay. sometime in, in June or May when he was talking about the, the pandemic and uh, when he was looking at uh, death rates in, in different countries and um, post-vaccine and, and induction. And so, uh, I mean, I was, but the reason I got there is because uh, well, essentially, it's because the Dark Horse podcast, I think, which, you know, very early was that, saying, that you know, should we, should we, uh, should, how, how much weight should we give this safe and effective kind of stance that everybody's taking and saying that this is safe and effective? Is that even possible? And I said, well, I don't, I don't think so. And then a couple of scientific papers came out that ended up, I ended up forming the hypothesis that I discussed with Matthew on this channel. Uh, and then, so I was concerned and so i was looking into this and i just happened to stumble upon i don't even it may have been from twitter but i wasn't even using uh twitter very actively until until after the pandemic so i'm not sure mm. so yeah but the dark horse podcast was brett weinstein steve kirsch and robert malone it was in june of 21 and i had watched literally and read everything from Robert Malone and Kirsch, and I was an active Brett Weinstein podcast listener. So that's that all came together, Cody. That's probably somehow we started there and ended up looking at Matthew's work. And yep. then he put out a call and, and said, Rose you know, and, and all those peeps. The thing about Matthew is, is that is, you know, he and I have had disagreements on whether this is like happening or that's happening, but. I, I feel that he's um, intellectually honest. He's saying what he believes, right? And so I could tell that from reading his work and, and whether I disagreed or agreed or thought the evidence was there or, or not quite there. Uh, I knew that talking to him about stuff he was doing would be valuable to me because he was somebody who believed what he was saying. And so when he needed help, I said, well, I could, I could help. And it just ended up, I think the very first night I spoke to him, you know, he had said he didn't need a research assistant and uh, it was on yeah. Discord because we were using Discord at the time. I, I was the one that transferred us mostly over to, to Telegram. Um, 
and we were on Discord, and he said, you know, I don't, I don't need a research assistant, but um, I'm very busy, so I need somebody to run Operation Uplift. Would you just take over the group? And I said, oh, uh, yeah, I guess I can. And uh, so I, I was kind of like second in command for, you know, 2021 and part of 22 before. I think, Liam, you mostly have that job now. Is that right? Well, Operation Uplift, I, I'd, I'd give it. It's it, it well. So I think Diane and I are technically admins in the Telegram. I'd say Diane probably is the is the bigger cheese. Uh, there. So you're in charge now, Diane. Yeah. Right. Uh huh. Yeah. This but that's in charge. Yeah. That's yeah. That's that's the good. We have been mostly as far as Operation Uplift goes nowadays. That really has become more of a gathering place for discussion more so than a project group. And this is something we were talking yeah. about a couple days ago. Um, but, um, yeah. And I mean, as far as I'm concerned, I'm focused almost entirely on the, the rounding the earth, the podcast side, like yeah. the, the external public engagement part now. Um, yes, in but the also the, the way that these other things have happened is because of the collection yes. group, right? Like that gives us not only connection to people who are, um, excellent at what they do all over the world. I mean, we have people literally all over the world. Uh, but it also gives us um, gives us the community and the drive and the, the stability to be able to actually have these other projects that are done. Oh yeah, and and also I'll say this is something else we were talking about on a on a call the other night um, with a few of us that uh, there's all of that, and then what's happened is um, if you consider the social landscape of the last few years, especially, it's been it's been very alienating and very isolating and i know there have been it, you know a lot of times it revolves around pets as we were talking about diane just before but there are um a number of very challenging personal experiences that we've had uh, uh across the last couple of years where for example at the end of last year it was when my cat turtle got very sick and then passed away very quick and it was you guys um primarily who helped uh, who helped me get through that. And it's in the little ways where you wouldn't plan for yourself to be surrounded by people who, who get it. Um, and, and yet you guys stood up and, and helped get through that. And, um, I know that's been the case with other situations, not just with pets. We've got family illnesses, we've got illnesses ourselves. Um, so it, you're totally right, Cody. It's become something, um, that enables so much more. And I do, uh, want to specifically share that we, Operation Uplift has, as one of the projects that we've been trying to get off the ground forever, um, and we've successfully got this off the ground, if I can just pull it up here, the Operation Uplift Substack, which I highly recommend everybody go check out. It's not as active as uh, any of us would like it to be, um, but it's it's getting more active. And um, have you guys contributed anything to this yet? I have not had the pleasure yet. Me neither. Right. This this is a place where ideally um, we we can have an outlet as a group um, where we can uh, there of all the people who could contribute, our perspectives are so varied that this could wind up being a platform where you see more and more of, as Cody's saying, not necessarily agreeing on everything, but understanding and sort of respecting or trusting the process by which somebody arrives at their uh, at their argument. Um, which again is sort of the premise of what we're here to discuss today is the overload of information that uh, we've seen 
just head on for the last several years. Um, it's been sort of nuts. And uh, I wonder if we could start, maybe Gabriel's the best to do this. Could you, in, in relatively simple terms, explain what a DDoS attack is in the context of, of computers, the way you would usually use that term? All right, so a DDoS attack is a distributed denial of service attack. This means that there are many places being, whether they're computers or information sources being used to basically clog up a particular information channel. That can be a website. It can be your own home connection if you piss off the wrong people. Um, and the purpose of the distributed denial of service attack is that it's a relatively easy way for somebody to constrain access to something, whether it's a website, whether it's content, whether it's somebody being able to access the internet across the board. Now, does that sound familiar to you guys? Do you do you ever feel like you are that computer and somebody or something is just overloading your circuits? Yeah. Um, so I actually have uh, maybe a, a less accurate but slightly simpler way of, of explaining. I was trying to explain to my wife this morning what the conversation was going to be about and said, you know, you know what happens when an old man get, tries to use an app on a computer and they just click it and they click it and click it and click it and they're trying to use this function and it causes the computer to freeze because they keep doing the thing. Well, a DDoS attack, a DDoS, is essentially a whole bunch of computers trying to do a normal function of a website or web service all at the same time so that they function as the angry old man clicking and clicking it and clicking it and cause the system to just completely stop. And they do that for a considered, uh, considerable amount of time and with enough bots or computers or uh, you know, hacked software so that it shuts down the service. And what we see, I think sometimes, uh, sometimes on accident and sometimes possibly on purpose, we see that happen with our mental states where we're just inundated with a fire hose of information from a, a thousand, thousand sources and our brain will just shut down. And you're right that it, it does happen to us. I think there are times when because of the connection of the internet, it's almost like we have to guard ourselves to stop it from happening, to not let that happen to us, right? Uh, because if we just put ourselves out there, we pull our walls down and put our brain into the internet, then what ends up is all of the people who are actively excitedly talking about a topic come into our brain and shut us down. And this is possible to be manipulated such that you end up with somebody who's wanting to shut people down, targeting people with a whole bunch of information, which I think is, is more of this in a nefarious way, but we also have to consider the, just what happens when you have so much communication where. Yeah, and you know, the way you put that is is reminding me of the discussion that Gabriel had with Matthew yesterday. And the conclusion that was, I'm not sure if, if Gabriel, you, you and Matthew both agreed exactly on this, but the idea that the solution is to basically stop doing so much on the internet, like remove aspects of technology from our lives or from society as a whole in order to better manage, uh, you know, I think you were primarily talking about privacy or the use of big data but in the end it's sort of the same beast uh that that the brain has to process um what, what's your perspective on 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 that well i do think anyone wanting to withdraw should do so intelligently you know like there are 
experiences that you may still want to have, whether it's, you know, being on certain websites. But as an example, when this fire hose of information opened up on the internet as the chaos got started, I made a deliberate decision to kind of filter information sources. I started out with a wide net, but basically I was testing, you know, oh, does this person seem to keep making sense over time? Or are they just, you know, trying to promote products or, you know, whatever, whatever associated incentives will align themselves over time. And so, you know, one of the things that actually helped me a lot was Corbett did a Solutions Watch episode on RSS feeds. And RSS feeds are very powerful because basically instead of a, or, uh, an algorithm telling you what you can see, you can curate your own feed based off amalgamating a bunch of different feeds. So I had started using a service called Fresh RSS, but you can use any RSS reader you want. And I started collecting these RSS feeds and that became my main source of information over time. And I would mostly go for that as a first check. So instead of, you know, saying Facebook or deciding what I would see or Twitter deciding what I would see, I made a conscious choice to use the software that exists and is widely used, used to keep on associating with stuff I like. And that can create a bit of an echo chamber effect. So you still want to, like I said, cast a wide net to not be like huddled into your own little corner and not see what other people are talking about. But I find going to something that is low stimulation, as I would call it to start, can really help keep, you know, emotional shields from either going up or dis distancing yourself from particular topics. When it comes to withdrawing from the internet as a whole, you know, it's really interesting because my other half has been watching this interesting video of kids playing Minecraft together in this new adventure format. It's based off some mod, I'm sure. But the, the, the premise of the game is to get people who are both English speakers and Spanish speakers to play the game together. They have to do tasks in it. And they have this really cool software that will translate what they say out loud into the other language text above their head as a speech bubble. This is an interaction you cannot have in real life. Let's be real. At least right. not without a whole lot of extra stuff built on top of. Uh, and, you know, it's funny because it's such a, you know, innocent, beautiful experience, but imagine how that could be applied in other areas. I don't think the answer personally is to tell people, oh, to stay away from things entirely. I just think we need to make better choices about what we're doing and how we're doing it. That's a fantastic point. And I want to circle back in a little bit to the solutions and also specifically the risk of the echo chamber. But before we do that, I'm curious, Diane, because you had mentioned uh, the HPV vaccine, which was an issue that you engaged 10 years ago. Now, we've come together in this interaction that, by the way, as well, could not have happened without the Internet. So another point for the Internet. Um, yeah. But uh, we came together around this this issue of COVID-19. And while well, in large part, the the vaccine products that were rolled out and as such, a lot of what we're familiar with right now is 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 that issue. But I wonder if this similar fire hose of information or if I, I wonder with the experience processing information around the HPV vaccine as another example, how that compares to the time we're in now. Can you speak to that? Well, there was the HPV vaccine was was just accepted like every other vaccine. And it's this dirty little secret. And I, I'll tell you what, 
from what I know now, I would not have vaccinated my children at all for anything. It is mind-blowing and it's available and it's out there and it's data and it's facts and it's just i mean my god what have we done um so on the hpv that was just me being diane going you know this sounds really crazy it also being from texas there was an additional um public push the governor uh rick perry who was energy secretary under trump as well um, he decided that because he met this gal, <clears throat> very young woman who ended up tragically dying from cervical cancer in her twenties. Um, and he met her and she said, please, please promote the, this vaccine. Gardasil is one of the names, one of the brands. And so he wanted to make it a, a state law that children get vaccinated with Gardasil. And I just, ooh, don't do that, baby. So my knee hit my chin and I started, I learned VAERS. I went to VAERS and I started reading all this stuff and then, you know, went to the papers and, and you know, learned how to do that all by myself. There was no group. And, uh, and then when the country of Japan took it off their national schedule, you know, I thought, you know, the country of Japan has a lot more experts than I have in my little head. So... I'm going to go with them. And that's kind of how I made my decision. But it, the, the familiarity with theirs was kind of a leg up at the time when we first started because we had a, a lovely medical doctor in the group at the time, we'll call her Dr. M. And uh, she and I started really working on the VAERS stuff and identifying some early signals. And since my middle name is jumping to conclusions, I think, I, I think I'm batting a thousand on my conclusions though, Cody, I really do. But, um, you know, she and I would, would really start looking at, you know, what's showing up as far as adverse events from the COVID backs. And um, then I, I uh, found out that the, my, my county, Harris County, uh, the public autopsies are public data, literally identified detailed autopsy reports. And so I, we started pulling those and looking at those and really um, kind of went all different directions, trying to find some purchase to say, this is, look, at this is what's happening. And, but it was pretty, it was pretty shotgun it was not rifle shot it we were just all over the place and it was like flavor of the week or of the day and what's interesting and what's going on so okay well um i was all over the place on that non-answer no 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 i i think that's that's uh, very informative um now i am pleased to share that we've had somebody sneak in the back and I'm looking to see if he's going to give me a thumbs up or a thumbs down as to whether or not I should bring him in. But I'm tempted to. Is it? And Sam? I didn't even have to. Hello, Matthew. Uh, hey. Uh, yeah, I wasn't uh, like sneaking or lurking or anything like that. But uh, uh, I, I, I did want to jump in at some point. <laughs> hey, everyone. Hey, Matthew. Um, well, I don't know if you've caught the first bit of the show, but we've been having a lovely time reminiscing and uh, catching up on the origins of Operation Uplift, some of the early projects, how we each got involved. And um, we've now started to explore what it means to uh, uh, to have 
the brain subject either intentionally or not to the equivalent of a DDoS attack. Um, so maybe there's a good opportunity to uh, have you uh, give your thoughts on the premise because this idea came about in a Zoom call we were having the other night. Um, and I believe this was this was your idea. Am I right? Uh, I, I, I think so. I, I guess I, I do see us as being, um, or, you know, one of my early articles was, hey, we're, we're beset by a fire hose of information, right? Uh, we are constantly just inundated with information and that, that uh, you know, this is, I guess this is what led me to, you know, to want to organize a group of people. And I, you know, it's funny, I had actually forgotten exactly how Operation Uplift started, but maybe it did start when I had a call for an assistant. But so many people, I, I got maybe 50, 60 emails. So many people um, reached out to contact me that I said, wow, you know, um, maybe I should just put people in a pool. You know, like, it, 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 you know, what, what what could go wrong, right? I, it, it occurred to me that people needed healthy community that was something like uh, a bubble perhaps from the DDoS attack, from the fire hose of information. You know, the, it, it can make you feel crazy if all you have are corrupted information sources. So how do you do something else? Well, you build your own community, you step away. And um, I, I appreciated uh, Cody saying um, that, uh, uh, that we connected because he felt I was intellectually honest. Um, and, you know, I do disagree and, and people disagree with me within the community and that's all fine. Um, and, you know, we, and, and we can continue to discuss topics too. Like I've changed my mind on a number of things during the pandemic. Uh, I just wrote an article last night where I said, you know what, I still don't know whether some of the images we saw out of Wuhan from the very beginning are real, right? I thought they were real. Then I thought they were faked. And now I'm like, you know what, if there was something like a, a controlled pathogenic release, then maybe some of them were actually real. And yet, you know, you have to peel back layers of what could be going on, but you don't want to commit too hard to a belief. That's and I right. think that, that that's at least partially what separated people who wanted to join Operation Uplift, perhaps, at least for many of them, is, um, is they recognize something wrong. And perhaps that something wrong is the need for you to commit to a belief, right? And I think that that even within the um, and, and I, I think that there's corruption all over the uh, you know, medical freedom resistance and that we see in various groups a uh, a um, you know, purification tests, uh, purity tests um, where people need to commit to to belief. And that's something that that bothers me. But you know what? Um, just just to make the point, um, I'm going to share uh, an email that came to me. I think this is this is really important for everybody to see. I started collecting these um, because I had so many of them sent to me. But this is an email just sent to me the other day. I think that what Operation Uplift is um, so threatens people who put themselves in, in, in positions within the medical freedom movement to, um, I, I think, to be part of the grand show. Do, do you want to read this out for those who'd be listening just audio? Yeah. It says, hey, Matthew, don't know if this will help or not, but just started listening to your vid on, uh, on the above only 10 minutes through in the month. I've got uh, some information redacted. I had a few people, both MFM, that's Medical Freedom Movement, and Alt-MFM reach out uninvited and said I should be wary of you. I told them politely to go bleep themselves as I think for myself, enjoy the chat, and think I can make up my own mind about people. 
I keep all purse comps confidential, so I don't mean to tease as I won't name names, but I think it was you who was being targeted, not me. At least that's how it felt to me. Yeah. And well, I think and and in general, like what I would say is uh, you know, if somebody has like a critique, you know, like Cody said, um, we've been able to disagree. Right. If somebody has a critique on an idea that we're discussing, um, you know, it, it can be discussed. And that's fine. That's what people should bring out. But what we have is, um, I think, a very controlled ecosystem of resistance that is part of the DDoS attack, where people establish nodes, and um, and and I think it was you know it was likely prearranged, right? If you have something as big as what has gone on, uh, a program to mass vaccinate, and of course we have more and more information about forced vaccination. Uh, that was even part of my article last night, um, uh, the identification of a woman from Australia at the World Vaccine Congress who, who told people, no, do not communicate with people who do not already agree with, with our message here, that everyone should be forcibly mandated to be vaccinated um, or, or, or discuss safety and efficacy at all. They don't have the conversation, stand in the way of it. <clears throat> um, so I, I, I think that we should absolutely expect for there also to be nodes, you know, planned with within uh, resistance to that, and this is why people should be forming their own nodes, and you know whether it's Operation Uplift or some other node, you know, reach out and find community and build a new node. We need new nodes. One of the most important aspects to me is the ability to disagree because I I couldn't be in Operation Uplift. I wouldn't have been able to be in it if there weren't people with whom I could disagree because as soon as somebody says, this is a forced belief, you have to believe it, that's I'm out, which is how I got here to begin with, right? Like that's how I'm not in the mainstream because it's as soon as you force me to say, yes, this is true. No, this is not true. Hmm. Like, sorry, hands off, I'm done. And so I think it's important. I think other people could probably use that same heuristic, right? If somebody says, this is the case, people here, we don't like those people over there. And if you like those people over there, you can't be part of our group. You're out. Like, you're just out. Like, you should, you should say, thank you very much. Just like the person who wrote to Matthew did. Thank you very much. I can make up my own mind, uh, I guess. And, and it, is, it is isolating, which is why Matthew's idea of, of uh, nodes, whether they're part of our group or not, is so valuable. You have to find the community that you can disagree with, but still be a part of. And a big part of that is because, uh, like, w I don't know what the normal ratio in someone's life of being right versus wrong about a given thing is. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised to find out that if you were to really dumb it down, you'd find that 75% of the time on a given thing, you're wrong. And 25% of the time you're right. And then ideally that I guess expands over time to being more correct about stuff, but then that's still the wrong question. Like what does it mean to be right about something or wrong about something? Isn't it more about the process? And I also have had my mind flip back and forth on a number of issues. And, um, and I think without the ability, without the recognition of the necessity of doing that uh, as the information um, and as the, uh, as, as the, as everything changes in favor of a new reality, um, it, it, if you get stuck, if you dig your heels into something uh, and then it becomes religion, not uh, information, I suppose. 
Um, and so I echo that's what's been very valuable is being able to have sometimes very heated disagreements that then wind up, uh, you know, being rooted in a fundamental respect, um, even if the person really ticks you off on a given day. I think if we can't engage in that, you know, as a group, as one on one or as a society, that will that's where we're going to continue to fail. And so that's and, why this group has been fantastic. And, and you know, if, if I could jump in there, you know, every principle has its boundaries, right? Um, you know, is it an unreasonable ideological purity test to keep people out who um, who believe that uh, the best thing to do is just extinguish all of humanity? Right. I see. Right. Um, you know, there, there are there are obviously going to be boundaries to a community. Most of them are natural. I think of them kind of like I think of natural law. Right. Um, if, if your boundaries for you know, running a community are basically the same thing as natural law, then you're going to be fine. OK, you know, at some point there, there may be reasons to test those boundaries, but, you, you know, not really not for a note of, you know, 100 something people. Right. Um, so, you know, it, it, you know, don't don't worry about uh, like people shouldn't worry about if they're forming community. Uh, don't worry about the edge cases now. You know, find groups right. of people that you can work with and and don't don't let some parasocial relationship dictate what you're going to work on. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm curious about hearing examples about things that have that people have flip flopped on. And just to give an example, I. Uh, so there, there's this as of yet unresolved issue, as far as I'm concerned, about this whole this whole. And it sounds crazy even to say. And that's partially why I'm going to use it as an example. This whole magnets situation where there was this period of time where that was all the rage on the alternative video platforms and I'm sure TikTok and others of people sticking magnets to themselves. And the premise was that it was because they had just received a COVID shot and it was equally trashed and ridiculed in uh, mainstream sources. And then it sort of doesn't get talked about anymore. Um, but I'm going to go ahead and say, I definitely myself experienced that magnetic phenomenon very specifically on the place where I would, if I had chosen to receive a COVID shot, it would have been where I got it. And so, uh, it's an interesting unresolved phenomenon for me, but it's not just me. There are very credible people who uh, at the time were looking at it and going, I've also, for, I'll give you an example, Tess, Tess Laurie, who I find to be largely credible, um, said she had witnessed firsthand this phenomenon as well and had no explanation for it and simply wanted an explanation. Can you um, clarify I, what you mean when you say that you were... So let's say you, are you saying that you took a magnet and put it on your arm? You did not get a shot, but you put a uh, magnet on your arm where you would have gotten the shot. Uh, yeah. It stuck. It stuck in a way and over a long enough period of time, like I replicated the experiment, so to speak, enough times where it appeared as though that's what was happening. Um, but you would be a, a control case because you didn't. Right. So then it should be independent of. Oh, well, he would be a control shot. case for some variables, and we still, don't know, we still don't know exactly um, what the possibility of shedding might mean, right? Or, for example, because uh, I, Diane, received one dose of Gardasil, for example. Um, that's, 
I'm not saying it was that. I'm saying that's another thing that others have have suggested is uh, uh, perhaps it's not specific to this shot. So that's sort of the idea of uh, we maybe are so overwhelmed with information that the second applause, something comes up and then the first plausible explanation that comes in is the one we stick to. But that doesn't actually mean that it is, you know, attributable to the thing. So, but my point is, um, it started as being a crazy thing. Then I dismissed it. Then I experienced it myself. And I've sort of flip-flopped on, on what that actually means. Um, but that's just one example. I'm curious if there's anything that's come. Oh, well, and the related graphene oxide question started as being this, like, is this something worth even thinking about? I remember people at the time in our clubhouse groups dismissing it as, you know, oh, we don't want to touch conspiracy theories when it hadn't even really been articulated as one. And then it went away as completely nonsense. Now it's coming back as, well, no, it, the graphene oxide is part of the equation, but it doesn't mean it's the part of the equation that everyone else has been discussing. And is it relevant at all? What, what are some examples uh, that you guys have experienced on, on things where you've, you've changed your mind? I'll jump in. Um, Would somebody else like to answer? One, one of the uh, really contentious ones, because I don't come from really a medicine background at all. You know, my biology knowledge is not very solid. And so I saw a lot of people making noise about Terran theory. You know, they were basically saying things along the lines of, oh, Louis Pasteur is a fraud. And, you know, here's why viruses aren't actually real. And that was something I seriously entertained. I can, I can definitely admit, I'm like, okay, what is the deal here as far as I was trying to understand it? And I'm lucky that my other half is fairly rounded in biology. So she was able to answer a lot of my questions about some of this, but it was entertaining it enough to really upset her over this. And the thing that really, where I really settled on at, at the end of that process was that I realized that the problem is not actually viruses themselves as much as like the way they kind of talk people into it. But there are a lot of things about health that honestly, someone like myself who doesn't know much about biology are absolutely wrong about. We don't have a clue what health actually looks like. I mean, I'm a pretty heavy guy because I did not prioritize wealth, uh, sorry, health well enough because of that. And I do think there are a lot of things, you know, things like sunshine, you know, nutrition and any exercise is a big one. Anything you can do to be healthier will absolutely change your outcomes on honestly all kinds of aspects of life. And yeah, that'll have an effect. So to me, it was an interesting way of looking into okay, this is something that people won't even discuss, but I was really digging into it. I'm like, okay, what, what's what's missing here was what I was trying to understand. And I do think it is kind of like a crowbar almost because whoever's you know originating where this is coming from, they know most people don't think about this stuff in any level of depth. And that was what it revealed to me, how little I knew about all of it. Not only that, but I think that there are a lot of, um, there are a lot of lies sort of within the literature and embedded within the literature or like, like weird mistruths even, right? Like um, the, uh, my wife who studies viruses, like the way that she might identify viruses is not the way that it's taught in a textbook, right? Like when people hear things like, you know, some particular methodology or some particular test, uh, oh gosh, what's the one that, that, um, that is often, uh, Oh, goodness, I, I'm forgetting the name of it now, but there are some people who are like, oh, oh like Koch's postulates or something like that, right? Um, uh, 
you know, pe people might have like one particular test that has nothing to do with the way that it's actually done in a laboratory. And they say, well, you know, the, this definition here, that definition here, and they'll point to like three textbooks and the definitions will be different. And you know what, that's fine. Um, you know, the, that, that the textbooks are not consistent uh, doesn't mean that there isn't a definition or doesn't mean that there's not a process. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, this, this made me uh, think of an idea right now, uh, which is that, that I think that these types of events allow for us to be studied. Right. And I think that that's actually one of the things that we should think about and try to like if if you are <clears throat> forming into groups that can be commoditized, either because of a personality that you're following or uh, like a like a parasocial relationship that can be designed to steer you one step at a time. And I have several in mind. I'm not going to say them out loud, but um, or that you can have a belief tested. And then you can be that that you know people can be farmed into two groups, and then those two groups can be sort of um, you know uh, media can be aimed at them, and I do think that there is establishment of sort of alt media empire that seems to be going after those people, and some of that may be for nefarious purposes, some of it may just be for business models, and yet the business models can themselves drive feedback loops that corrupt the pool of people in the same way that everything felt corrupted before we reached out to form new nodes. So did I, I make, jump did I say any of that clearly enough? <laughs> I want to jump in on that because for the, let's just say for this audience, probably most people would hear that and not really recoil, but for a wider audience, people would hear like, Oh, the, the pandemic, we, we form groups and it allows us to be studied and, perhaps somebody could say, well, that seems kind of conspiratorial. You know, that seems a little, maybe that's too far. Uh, there are research papers that are written and published online. You can go and check them out uh, where they are literally using the pandemic to study how people respond to different forms of uh, propaganda, persuasion. I mean, these, this is real out there. It's funded by the government. And it's it's not just like, you know, a patent from 60 years ago. This is stuff that's been published right now in response to the pandemic. And it was very fast. It, it was not very only do we have papers, we have entire governmental organizations that have developed oh, around sure. the process, right? The book, The Nudge, that was written by uh, uh, Thaler and Sunstein, um, the, uh, the UK government created a nudge unit that was embedded within its intelligence agencies. It was a new agency within the intelligence infrastructure of the UK. It was then spun off into a corporation or, or I don't know if corporation is the right word, but some sort of a, like an entity organization that then contracts with other governments and intelligence agencies and corporations around the world to do that work. And right. This kind of psychological testing follows very uh, easily from like the AB testing that's done in computer science. Right. So this kind of stuff, I mean, it's very, very straightforward how it gets to to the psychological testing on groups of people. And, and we are in the age of Cambridge Analytica. Right. Cambridge Analytica happened. Uh, you know, the Brexit vote happened. Um, and, you know, whether or not we know the entire public story on that, um, we cannot at this point um, say that anything like uh, uh, intended mass manipulation, uh, e even to a a refined and granulated degree is not happening. It absolutely is. So uh, I think that people should be very considerate of 
you know, step forward, be a leader, form your own group. Um, and these things may be malleable, but you're going to wind up with a healthier ecosystem and a healthier situation that way. Can I can I just poke on the Cambridge Analytica thing? Because I've always heard about it and never known the story other than Steve Bannon worked at Cambridge Analytica. And I bring that up because he's been someone I've recently looked at um, in some of this same context. But could you just give a quick overview of what that what 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 was the Cambridge Analytica situation? I don't know if I can tell the story like from A to Z, sure. uh, but somebody decided that they were going to uh, I, I guess somebody who was who was politically involved decided that they were going to hire an analytics firm to do the job. And yeah, you know, uh, that's basically what it comes down to. And then, you know, I, I guess they knew somebody and they had confidence in them and they brought them in and suddenly you had a team that started growing and, and it became like the mission. It was like, it was like, that was the way they were really focusing the entire operation on the Brexit vote. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, well, and, and you know, this A-B testing that, Cody, you just brought up, it, it's interesting because one way you would do that is by, let's say, controlling two Telegram groups and separating people based on a factor. What, uh, just hypothetically, Operation Uplift could be one of them. I, I don't think it is. Um, but you would separate people based on one difference and then test different messaging and then see how they react. Um, and I guess it's the reason why people might have trouble not reacting immediately is that's conspiracy theory. I think people don't have a mental map for that. This has never been something that we've had to consider for real goes on in our lives, except we know that it does because that's what Facebook is. And that predates like that knowledge and understanding predates COVID. So we can simultaneously not have a mental map for knowing or for, for being able to process that we might be, all of us, by default, subjects in a social experiment, and simultaneously understand that the NSA and Facebook and Google are doing exactly that to us all the time. Like, how can we have two conflicting thoughts as people? And it's very strange, to... because people don't seem to account for how much permission they give for other places to use their data, right? So beyond anything else, like we've been doing this for decades where, you know, you just hit yes to the terms of service for anything you sign up for. And then as you continue to sign up for things, you don't realize it's like, oh, well, you know, the data can't be traced back to you. Well, maybe it can, maybe it can't. But what you end up with is a whole bunch of companies learning how to uh, uh, improve or, or uh, target their products based off of what you would like and dislike and say and don't say in places you visit. And so this kind of thing is, uh, I mean, it really is, can act as one of the bases for what we're seeing now on a different scale. Because if you continue to reward companies for uh, targeting you and for manipulation of you, then they're going to find better and new exciting ways to target and manipulate you. I, I think that, that also what people uh, underestimate is the degree to which their choices can be steered. Yes. Right? Like, I, I think that um, to actually follow the process of a nudge unit, it would be fascinating if somebody were to put together a documentary. In fact, we really need that. We need somebody to make an, an educational documentary that walks through such an operation. And I don't know who might have footage of that or something, but um, I, I think most people don't know how much their thoughts are steered at this point. 
And, you know, they they don't know all the techniques. I think they don't know how powerful ash conformity experiments have become, right? People think they know that experiment well, but, uh, you know, really and truly, there are different reasons why people wound up making the wrong choice and how frequently they made the wrong choice uh, according to the setup in the room, how many confidants are there, how many false confidants are there, how those confidants are dressed what is your perception of those confidants, right? People people don't know uh, how well they can be steered and manipulated. Well, I think a big part of it, though, is that regular people are kind of, you know, robbed for time. You know, if you're dealing with all these pressures from all these different areas, whether it's your career, whether it's, you know, the chaos of inflation ramping up and political instability and polarization from almost every direction, this is, in my opinion, what really drives the DDoS effect on people's minds is that they have a very small amount of time to really parse through these issues. And so this is where what's funny is that some of the more extremely online people who have a lot of times on their hands will be able to parse through these issues, but good luck communicating it to somebody who doesn't have the time to even get to where that person is at. And so if that wasn't bad enough, you've got this huge time barrier And then you have the emotional barrier where, as far as I can tell, fear, stress, anger, all the things that have been really ramped up, you know, as as things get crazier are things that will reduce your capacity to think about anything in any kind of depth, seriousness or even curiosity. And I think of that, I I think of that like a flock of birds effect. Um, I think people very often uh, underestimate how mimetic we all are. Think about to your days in school. When we were all school children, the vast majority of the time, um, when we didn't know what we should be doing, we looked around and followed a line or a crowd, right? And and I don't even just mean that physically. I mean, like, you know, what should I be doing with myself? Uh, you know, how should I be uh, handling a certain assignment? Uh, I, was, I was exactly one of those students who would sometimes get lost in thoughts. Uh, instructions would be given out and then I would look around you know, and, and I'm just one personality type. I'm sure it happens a little bit differently for everybody. But just in order to figure out how should I be on task, I might look around the room and then look at the board and see a set of instructions and put two and two together and figure out what was going on. Right. Um, not always, you know, but just if, if I lost my my myself and thoughts, um, people are very mimetic. And for a lot of different reasons, it is economic. You know, just like Gabe said, uh, you don't have time to figure everything out. So you, you know, going with crowds is an ordinary evolutionarily, you know, obvious strategy for a species, especially when it's complex as we are. Right. And, and I, I would double down on it because I think that's part of the social fabric. There is this assumption that the people in positions of power are doing it responsibly, are doing it with, you know, the tribe's goals in mind. And so when you have this betrayal I've, I've heard a lot of people say, oh, X institution can't be corrupt because that would mean we can't trust anything. And I've all, got myself come back with, yes, you can't trust anything. And that's what makes <laughs> it so hard. Well, anything from such centralized nodes, right? Um, there, is a, there, there is a lot that we can trust if we just organize it differently. But it is an economics problem. Now, I want to move to a slight, slightly different perspective. Um, an example, I want to talk about busy work because um, I have, for example, um, for years 
been incapable of managing the constant input, not strictly of new information, as we've been discussing, but new communications, which themselves you could call information. What I mean is, with the full array of social media apps, you've got your Facebook, your Instagram, your Twitter, your YouTube comments, your, uh, gosh, I don't know, your Snapchats, your text messages, your emails. And um, no clear method uh, that I've been able to develop or that I've had anyone else be able to explain to me for how to manage all of it. Not, of course, being on its own the important thing. Managing it alongside just living your daily life not attached to a computer. Also, managing it in balance with important work that needs to be done. Uh, and I wonder if others have considered the possibility, in fact, Matthew, I think you've discussed it before, the idea that people can use just little distractions, like little calls for your attention um, to derail you. And so that's, that's assuming it as a tool. Um, but even in the absence of, of the use of distraction or busy work or small tasks or whatever as, as weapons, I think it's just another inherent challenge we probably all face just trying to figure out in the era of instant communication and in the era of piling up communication. You're no longer just answering phone calls as they come in that you can then maybe return if you miss it. It's now you've got a thousand little red dots in your inbox. What do you do with that? Um, now, Diane, as a mom, you're probably the most inherently busy just as your base job description. And so you're probably best qualified to help shed some light on how you uh, how you manage the the duties of being a mother and everything else you live uh, with in daily life, and also engaging in such a uh, uh, a constant stream of people reaching out to you. I assume. I'm sorry, I've got a whole houseload of contractors. And, and, and that proves the point. Exactly. And, and it's sort of it's sort of like everyone is four years old. And I was on the phone when my kids were four. And I would look down and say, Do you not see this phone in my ear? And here I am talking to my computer. And do you not see Diane, Diana, mommy talking to the computer? Perhaps I'm involved in something, but hey. Um <laughs> So my daughters are grown up. The littlest one is now 21. So they're yeah, early 20s plus a 40-something uh, stepson. And I think, so we get Slack messages, we get text messages, we get emails, and then we're on all these chats on Telegram and Signal. And, you know, my biggest challenge, well, let me just say this. I used to have a very seven days a week. I get up really early. I go to bed really early. I mean, I get up like at four or 30 or five. So I'm, I'm not around as you know, past eight o'clock usually. Um, plus I being in real estate, I learned I had to turn off all the screens early before I just lost my mind. Um, because I feel a need to respond, which is, which I had to get over. But I think, I think for me, 
just managing it. The, the biggest problem for me is the source of what I saw. And you're going, oh, God, somebody asked me a question or somebody sent me something. Was that on that Slack channel or was it on Signal or Telegram? And it gets very frustrating to source it. Um, that's one thing. And then the text thing really irritates me. To me, that's an urgent personal channel. Uh, my children text me when they're in trouble, um, which is why I've been on my phone for the last 20 minutes because the car insurance payment didn't make it because they got canceled by the real insurance company, both of them simultaneously. Wow. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, one speeds and one gets in unilateral wrecks with herself or parking lot structures. Anyway, so yeah, so I, I think I think it's just way too many sources. So I used to get up very early in the morning and I would go through a process where I would go through the Operation Uplift channel. That's always my first priority and catch up with those messages. And then I would hit my email and I literally I'm pretty OCD, I admit it. But I would just go through this, you know, almost tap, tap kind of OCD stuff and go through it all just to keep myself sane. So I could say, OK, whew, I'm, ca I'm caught up and now I can switch to iced tea from coffee. That means I'm caught up. It, it took a while, but I did that every day of the week for 18 months, 18 months easily. And, do and you that's still how I kind of manage myself with all this stuff. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, well, that because what wouldn't that take? To me, that sounds like it would probably take hours. Uh, like, yeah. how long do you realistically need to set aside as a part of your routine to do that? Well, one thing I have, which uh, is a blessing, I have a couple of things going for me. I read really fast, I synthesize really fast, and I've got a semi photographic memory. Actually, mm. I've killed so many brain cells, that's probably mostly gone, but. Um, I literally can remember things from where they were on the page, if you will. And so uh, everybody says, how do you find things? How do you use bookmarks? And I said, I never could use bookmarks. I'm horrible. And I always get them messed up. And so I have everything under recipes. So um, I just you know, gave up on that. Um, but I just read really fast. And I'm so jealous of that. Huh? <laughs> I'm so jealous of that. Oh, I know you are, man. I, I can't imagine being dyslexic in this business. So I, and I also, I'm a good skimmer. And so I can go through, if it's fairly, something fairly well written, you know, I can look at the topic and the, and the summation and see if it's worth reading, um, you know, and I'll favorite something, you know, to come back to or something. That's pretty much how I go about it. It sounds so clean and concise. I, uh, it's not. It's <laughs> I know I, it can't be, but you make it, you, you present a framework for something I, I suppose I could at least try and it's fairly straightforward, but again, I, I it never works out that cleanly. Right. Well, um, well, yeah. And, and part of the raising kids thing for a control freak, it, it was very difficult because you have none. And so, so you find these areas where you can establish control, like your, you know, like your COVID, your COVID information. I, I, that was a lot easier than children. Okay, what what about you, Cody? How do you manage that same that same problem? Oh, You're sorry. Muted, Cody. The problem of the attempted DDoS attack or the the flood of information. 
Well, yeah, but and in the realm of like productivity, keeping up to date with your communications and then how you balance that with the time you spend, whatever your work is, whatever you consider the work, you know, and of course, just living your life. <laughs> right. Well, um, I'm not sure that I have anything to teach anybody with that. Uh, I, I struggle as much as anyone else, um, especially with um you know, my, if, if it doesn't catch me, my attention span is very poor. And so the things that I'm interested in, I can hyper-focus, I can read through the paper, I can, you know, analyze the information, as long as it's something that I wanted, I want to do. And then when it's not, it's like holding on to soap, it's absolutely atrocious. And so, um, yeah, I don't, I don't have any, any answer to give. I mostly will. So this is going to touch on something that I think you wanted to get to, but what Gabe has said, uh, I mostly, I mostly uh, withdraw from sources that are not <clears throat> at least giving me something. So if it's, so there are sources, I mean, you can play games or watch something entertainment for, for relaxation purposes. But uh, if you're thinking about an information source, then, um, you know, I, I only follow on my Twitter, I only follow a couple hundred people and that's probably too many. And uh, I don't spend all that much time on there. You know, I, I watch, you know, a few different news podcasts or sources like that from across the spectrum, some conservative, some left, some center, you know, I, I have OU, but I really am more or less unplugged from, from things like, uh, because I just, you know, everybody has the, 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 the loss when you change from one topic to the other, when you get a text, when you uh, are suddenly interrupted, everybody has the, everybody pays the cost for that. Right. But I find that for me, it's very, very difficult. Like that cost is very steep. And so when I'm distracted by something like, you know, I've lost, not only have I lost whatever it was that I was building in my head at the time, I saw a comic the other day where somebody had a, a sort of a flow chart building in their head and somebody says, Hey, wait a second. And they, turn and says, oh, never mind. And the person's flow chart is popped, like a bubble is popped and is gone. And so like they had this whole thing that they had spent hours putting together. They were interrupted for a second and then it's gone. And I was, I was like, well, that's very relatable because, you know, I feel the same kind of way. So if I intend to get anything done, it, it really has to be without uh, distractions. Yeah. Gabe, what what about you? Um, I think I, I, Cody, you suggest that's that's related to what Gabe was suggesting earlier with the the curating of the RSS feeds, and I think that's it. That's certainly a good. I'd, I'd be curious for more of a step by step guide on how to do that because there are sources that I wouldn't assume generate RSS feeds. Now, mm -hmm. of course, the problem that's like step two. Step one probably is pruning out a good chunk of stuff that we right now have, you know, funneling into our various inboxes and, and brains in general. So I'm curious, Gabe, at, first, what about you in terms of uh, um, channeling what comes in, but also time management? Like, how do you get past the feeling of I'm not doing enough or I'm not doing the right thing. If, if you have that, maybe I'm projecting. Well, you know, that's, that's, that's really hitting it on the head for me because when things started getting going in 2020, 
I knew there was a problem. I knew something was off. And I spent a lot of time, honestly, really taking myself to task of, am I, as an individual, you know, who am I? But I, I certainly put a lot of pressure on myself. What am I doing to contribute to solving this problem? And that caused a lot of stress and anxiety. I'm going to be honest. You know, that was very emotionally difficult because my answer for most of it was, I'm not, I don't know. I don't even know. You know, you need direction and direction is very helpful. And so having, you know, even a list of things to do can do go a long way. One of the things I actually borrowed from Matthew is he's mentioned many times that he takes notes and I have started journaling as of this year. And I find that a very helpful way to keep track. And I think that's what can help you preserve that architecture you're building in your mind if you get it down somewhere. And because I had started publishing on Substack before then, but this year I focused on trying to have some of my own notes that maybe don't need to be as formal as a whole article going out there. And I have found it very helpful. So I, I that's something I appreciate a lot, especially because it does also help with the emotional side. Because if you write, you know, this made me really angry and you revisit it, you may be able to reassess why that made you really angry or why, you know, it was able to get under your skin. And then from a different frame of mind, you can now reevaluate it. And I, in my personal opinion, that has been the biggest power up I've had this entire time has been having my own notes and trying to revisit them occasionally. It does help with like dispassionate approaches to occasional topics. Absolutely. You know, I, uh, if I could jump in right here, uh, everybody has a different method for dealing with uh, the information overload. Uh, that's something that you should want in a community, right? You should want all the different personality types who are going to process all the information differently. This is one of the reasons why it does trouble me that there seem to be attempts to farm people into communities based on uh, a shared belief um, first, like, you know, the belief that, that uh, the, that the vaccines are making everyone magnetic or the belief that the, that there are alien babies in the vaccines, you know, like, like the, the more or less absurd or whatever. Right. Um, you know, I, I've seen people online where if I, if I just posted any bit of pushback or even just asked a question, then I was just verbally assaulted. You know, I, I immediately stopped going to Thomas Rince's Substack, for instance, because just, just a one sentence question and then boom, you know, uh, uh, there's this, uh, there seem to be, and, and I, and I think that this is put in place, actually. I think this is part of, of the operation of, of what all this is and the attempt to keep people outside of the mainstream from forming healthy communities. I think that there are people put in place, uh, as whips to, to ensure that conformity. So, um, look around. And if you're, if you're talking with a lot of people who aren't similar to you, that might be healthy. I love it. Well, what what do we do from here? Like, where where can we um, begin to establish? Like, I, I'm curious as to how people uh, who are aware that everything that's coming at them could be uh, either just garbage um, or an intentional act of distracting or of overloading the mind. Like, where wh how? How do so, we identify what is important and how do we um, how do we then dismiss everything that's not? Maybe maybe that's already a question we've beaten into the ground. But I wonder if there well, is a one 
you know, a one sentence summation or something? Oh, I don't know that I have a one sentence summation. I, I, I don't tend to do one sentences. Uh, but um, so it, it reminds me of, of one thing I wanted to go back on that uh, Gabe had, had mentioned. He said that you needed to withdraw intelligently, right? To the extent that you withdraw, you have to withdraw intelligently. I think this is vitally important because I, I know that a lot of people on, we're going to say most of my experience of people who are kind of espousing these ideas are on the, the right or conservative side. They're like, let's just, we're going to form our own communities. We're going to like uh, in person, you know, move away from other places. We're going to cut off entire websites or entire, um, you know, types of media and we're going to completely isolate. And, and while that may stop or slow mimetic kind of uh, infection, right? It may stop or slow the ideas from getting into your community. It may, may make you feel better. Uh, probably, probably would really. But um, is it going to be the winning strategy is my question. And I'm, I'm not sure that a complete uh, withdrawal or a... Um, an unintelligent withdrawal is the answer, right? What we have to do is we have to, we have to, like Gabe said, withdraw intelligently. And so kind of the retreat to the, um, to a, a way that doesn't exist anymore, a way of the past that doesn't exist anymore is not going to be an answer of, of no internet, no uh, communication, because any group that does this, and I had a, a conversation with a man in, um, Oh, you last night about this. Any group that that self isolates to that degree may continue on individually, but they're not going to be influential in the world. They're not going to be able to spread what they've got, and so they may uh, be a small granule that lives as they are can, and continues as they are. But they're not going to be able to spread that. They're not going to be able to, to influence. And so I think that if we if we are too reckless with how we withdraw, we will lose the power that we have. What we have to do is to withdraw in such a way from, from the places that are completely toxic to us. We have to say, look, this is too much. I can't, I can't be on this side of Twitter. Like it's just poisoning me. It kills my, it kills my morale. It uh, kills my, um, my uh, ability to continue through the day. I can't do that. Uh, I can't pay attention to these issues here because, you know, if I had, if I had Twitter, 2000 years ago and all I did was read about how you know these wolves keep killing all the sheep and we're never going to have enough food to eat and look at the, what's happening in this place and these potatoes are have got a, a disease maybe I wouldn't have been able to continue right to the modern day right because wow. you know archaic Twitter would have would have killed our, our ability to continue and so I, I wouldn't want to spend my time on toxic topics, but what I need to do is to be able to trim those topics without trimming, first of all, my ability to communicate. And second of all, my ability to receive important information. Like I do need to know if, I do need to know if there's a war in some other place, but I don't need to follow in excruciating detail exactly what's happening. Um, but I, so I think it's I think the question of how you do this is is in the air. Like I don't I don't know what the answer is, but we do need to keep in mind that we have to be very careful not to over withdraw, uh, for the reasons I've stated. Yeah, um, tremendously interesting, and I do like I like the the honesty we can have with ourselves in a group of, of saying the specific solutions aren't clear yet, but the general premise as it begins to open up and and shed light uh uh you know moving in that direction i think is a good idea 
Um, I definitely don't feel I have the solutions in my life yet beyond just reminding myself that it's okay to not, as you say, not know the nitty gritty of absolutely everything. It's okay to uh, miss an email from time to time. Like there are certain underlying principles that so long as they remain your driving force, um, the details can be worked on and improved. And then the bigger picture questions, you know, we don't need to rush to an answer. Um, but as we're moving to an end here, I'm wondering if anybody has anything else on the topic that we haven't been able to get to yet. Any, any, any core, anything we haven't addressed yet. Uh, Matthew, um, what, what are you thinking? Um, I was listening to Cody and I was thinking about the, the difference, like I was thinking about exit and build which is something that uh, it, it's a phrase that I like. Uh, it's promoted by um, John Bush and Derek Bros. And, and I think that there is a way to do that and still do what Cody's talking about, which is to, um, you know, uh, you, you don't have to be a Luddite. And in fact, it's probably a losing strategy, I would think. Um, or at the very least, uh, the Amish aren't going to decide how the next uh, technological era unfolds. Right. Um, if you are interested in participating in that, uh, you need to still be connected, but you need to be connected smartly. You know, it, maybe not with, you know, Cody puts it as withdraw smartly, but maybe that's a disentangle. Um, you know, maybe maybe uh, also think of it as connecting smartly. I would yeah. also build on what Cody said, because one of the things I've been trying to almost have as a mantra to myself to kind of rephrase what he said is I think it's good to humanize yourself and others. You know, you make mistakes, they make mistakes. Try not to treat people as, oh, this person is from that camp, therefore X, Y, and Z. I'm from this camp, therefore I'm X, Y, and Z. Treat everyone as people. And that can really go a long way when you're trying to connect with people who are different from you. Everyone is different from you one way or another. Practice giving people an out. Very yeah. interesting way of putting it interact with grace. Um, so one thing, I don't know if we have time for this. I'm not sure how long the program runs. Yeah, go but, for um, it. Some, some things I was, I had marked down a couple of things that were maybe worth talking about that we didn't actually get to. Uh, and the only thing left on my, on my list was, do we want to talk about examples of times where we think there may or may not have been an actual DDoS attempt on, on the psyche as a whole so is that an actual psychic attack so a good example of this i mean we've been seeing sort of continued attempts i think over the course of the past few years but one that struck me was um around the uh the 2020 election we're we not gonna be on youtube are we uh, I'm streaming to my YouTube but it, it's maybe not gonna stay up okay it's so to whatever extent anything happened the, the discussion around that at that time i found incapacitating right whether you think something happened something didn't happen i found the discussion to be incapacitating. it was like i was very busy uh at the time and you know i was running ou i have my job and i have my life outside of that and and i really just had to completely stop i completely pulled back from all communications outside of ou because I was, um, I, I mean, it worked. Like it functioned to shut my my services down. Like so, whether that was just a lot of people are interested in the topic and we're going to discuss it, or whether it was 
to, to the extent it was a dedicated denial of psyche attack, uh, it functioned on me. And so I wondered if we wanted to talk about other examples that may or may not have been such a thing, or if we just want to discuss anything along those lines, since we didn't touch on the main topic as, you know, f exclusively, we talked about a whole bunch of other stuff. So yeah, yeah. Well, we it, are there any other that. examples that people um, have thought of? On, on a broader level, one of the things I'm curious about is in education. You know, a lot of people will talk about, oh, the standards are declining. Oh, they're just passing students. And even on the university level, they had a word for it, which they called elite overproduction, which was, oh, there are too many qualified people entering, I guess, the workforce, so to speak. And even though this is not information, this is actually whole people being moved through the system faster. And has that been part of the way information has been pushed through systems and created these additional difficulties? I think in that specific uh, question, I think that is an unintended consequence of the game theory of how the university systems are set up um, because of the cheap, because of the structure of the one mentor and the multiple graduate students and because of the cheap labor that you get from graduate students. I think that the benefits of pushing people out with a degree is to get more people to work in your lab for cheap is set up in such a way that you, that, I mean, it could be somebody was using the fact of that to push information out. But I think that just on its own, you, if you uh, have that kind of a setup, you're gonna end up with, uh, an, an excess of educated people who want to go out and talk about their education. You know, I, I, I want to briefly return Cody to the example you gave, because I think it's actually a really good one. The 2020 election. Um, so my, what I watched happen, I, I think you're right that that was maybe one of the most obvious attempts at a, a DDoS attack for a really obvious intended outcome. Um, because it's my understanding that what happened is um, you had reason to believe something went wrong. So that aside, then it came to people talking about what actually went wrong. And you had a few different narratives. One involved foreign interference through digital, you know, connectivity and networks out of China or Italy, Germany. There's a few variations of, of that story. Um, then there was the uh, vote counting machines and how they were uh, the primary source, you know, for all the obvious ways you can hack a machine and get it to spit out a different outcome. Then you had um, everything to do with mail-in uh, voting and, uh, uh, that's why COVID was done is to get Trump out of office because they needed to implement all these COVID measures to then justify mail-in voting. But what, which of those were the ones that got the most attention right off the bat? Well, um, they, they were the China interfering through the internet and the, uh, Dominion and Smartmatic vote counting machines being rigged. And which of all of those had the least evidence to back them up? It was the ones that got the most attention. And I think, what wound up, go ahead, please. Oh yeah. Well, and, and 
and so what wound up happening is and and I, correct me if if I'm wrong on any of this. Um, but what wound up happening is the initial lawsuits that were very high profile, you know, the ones involving uh, Sidney Powell, Rudy Giuliani, and a few other big names, wound up being so um, premature, uh, and so they wound up not um, having the evidentiary base you might uh, desire for such a, a serious allegation. And they then basically made it impossible to bring any other kind of uh, perhaps more nuanced, more legitimate argument about, for example, signature match verification, uh, looking at all of the ballots and and finding uh, whether there was uh, evidence that they were, in fact, sent by the person who said they would. But that has nothing to do with the Internet or that has nothing to do with ballot machines actually miscounting. And so. The way that the story played out, at least in that summary, which which I may there may be others who disagree, that to me would be an example of how you might apply a DDoS type information overload early on with slightly wrong stories in order to distract from what could be a very plausible. Yeah, I have two things. Um, I think too could be more. Don't hold me to it. Uh, so first, I think that ordering it by the the amount of inter of interaction it got is maybe the wrong way to look at it because I think that these kinds of things, if done, they would be done in a sort of a shotgun approach where they want to have low interaction and high interaction, medium interaction. Uh, so if I were designing it, this is what I would do. So I would have very high believable, very low be believable, like all sorts of things intermixed and put out at the same time. Because uh, if you put only the big stories, fake and then you know I, I just feel like it would be easier to see through I, if i were if i were you know an evil genius you know whatever evil overlord that's what i would do uh second um i had a second hmm we may have to come back to it i think i may have lost the first one but so so i think that the, the ordering may not be as important because I think that if I were going to do something like this, I would do it in a certain way where it would not only be that, but I think that, um, I think it would be very easy to accomplish because people were so concerned and everybody had an opinion and I just felt inundated everywhere I looked. And very importantly, I feel like it seemed like no two places were talking about the same thing. Yeah. Right. It seemed like every single source had a different but vital flaw that they were like, oh, it's this thing. Or do you see these people handing off this? Uh, here's an image of people handing off a, a flash drive. We, we see this happen. And this person was here, did that and this. And then some other people said, well, the, the special forces attacked this base and some other yeah. place. Like it was, it was very, very different. It was everywhere you went. And uh, it was to a degree where you couldn't make heads or tails of the situation, I feel like. And so that's what uh, leads me to believe that it was a propaganda or a, um, an influential, um, that, that part of it was an attempt to influence people is because that's how propaganda is done, right? Propaganda is everywhere all the time, constantly, or else it doesn't work. And so this is the same kind of deal where what you were seeing was different stories everywhere all the time, and that's how you were able to 
demoralize the people who were interested in learning more about the situation, in my opinion. Yep, agreed. And I just want to point out, it's, it is one of those discussions that everybody should be very interested in because it does not actually matter which side you're on. Shouldn't we all be very concerned about the integrity of our election systems? We're dealing with something here in Canada very similar, where, and I have not gotten to the bottom of what I think is actually happening, but you've got this uh, huge story right now about how Justin Trudeau's re-election campaign and, and possibly many others um, in recent Canadian history have been influenced by Chinese uh, operatives and, and money. And it's interesting how you can talk about that, but you can't talk about any version of the same in the States. Um, so that on its own is also interesting, the contrast in what's acceptable discourse. It's very, um, very wild because what you see is, for, so number one, the U.S. interferes with uh, elections everywhere, right? We absolutely, if we don't, then, you know, we should fire the people in charge and start doing it, right? It's, it, you know, we're a major country. It's something that's expected of you. You should be making sure that the people you are at the table with at the world stage are friendly to you. You have to do what you have to do to get that to happen. And, and you know, I think that's just good uh, management of your government. And so you would expect that other people are doing the same to us, which I'm sure they are, and they should be, right? And so it's our job to defend the integrity of our elections. And what we have is uh, interest groups have for, I don't even know how long in our country, either entire political parties in certain locations or throughout the uh, country have actually influenced elections in certain ways. I mean, there's the the whole story about was the, the Battle of Athens where uh, there was a town in Georgia where people were taking over the voting polls and not let in deciding who uh, deciding who uh, was going to be the, I think it was the sheriff of some local, um, some local um, role. And there was a, there was a gunfight in the middle of a city in the United States to clear out people who were, um, who were influencing, who were, who were stopping uh, fair elections. I mean, this is, this, I mean, what happened with, uh, with voting, uh, was the voting test polls, the exams that they would give to people to stop certain undereducated or, minority people from voting. I mean, this is not new to have people influencing elections in the South and the North all over the country on different levels. And this is, these are just like historical examples. This is 50, hundred years ago or plus. So this is not even like new, maybe contentious things. These are things you can read about in your history books. And so why should we expect it have, to have stopped? We shouldn't. And so as technology increases, so does a, a group or a single person's ability to influence something. They're force multipliers. That's exactly what technology does. And so, you know, we just have to keep that in mind. Yeah. Yeah. Very good point. Um, well, we are, we are kind of at the, you're right. We could have, uh, there was a, a bunch of topics that would have been really good to get into. And I think this is testament to how this has to be an ongoing conversation. And that's sort of the premise of rounding the earth uh, from the get-go is to be able to over time flesh out these complex ideas. And, um, uh, and that's, well, that's what Operation Uplift has been about as well. We've been going on however many years now of 
seemingly never-ending discussions that continue to change as new information comes available. So we'll have to have uh, another Operation Uplift open discussion like this. Um, any final... Yeah, go for it, Matthew. Operation Uplift is two years old. Two that, years. That, that's, uh, that blows my mind. Yeah. There's so many more. Well, here's too many more, and hopefully they're they're more focused on the just hanging out with awesome people side of things and uh, maintaining, uh, you know, more of a normal kind of uh, life. Because I, I don't know about you, to the extent there are ongoing crises, I'd very much like those planes to start to land. Um, too much yeah, of an optimist, Leon. Yeah, it, it, per, perhaps what we should root for is for um, is for there to be offspring. You mean as in uh, community nodes? Yeah, yeah. Oh. Yeah, just like the 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 core of meerkats, it begins to split and it becomes you know multiple groups, and then you know that's part of the health of of everything. You know, there's a a death and a rebirth and and all of that going on. So so long as it's all healthy, you know. Agreed. Okay, well, let's go around. Let's uh, say our our final notes here, Cody. Where do you want to direct people if they want to? Um, you know, learn more about your work or where they can best dedicate their time and attention. Oh, uh, as for the second one, that's, that's quite difficult. Um, I don't know where the best thing to, the best way to spend your attention is. Um, hopefully you can figure that out for yourself as you continue to watch rounding the earth. Uh Oh, I think I've lost video. Oh, I still see you. Oh, look at that. Okay, well, am I back? We wait. Oh, yeah, yep, you there? No. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm this here. Are you here? Example of a DDoS attack. <laughs> <laughs> Can you hear me? Yeah. Excellent. Okay, anyway, um, I do have a, uh, I have a Substack that I have one article on and hope to add more to. Uh, so we'll put a link to that in the description, but. Um, uh, I don't know how to, when I figure out how to answer the question of how do we stop the, DDO, the DDoS attacks and the, how to handle the fire hose, then I'll be sure to let you know. Sounds awesome. Okay, and we will get that link in the in the description for everybody. And um, Gabe, how about you? Where do you want to direct people? I mean, I have my own website at liparasolutions.network if anyone is interested in keeping up with what I'm up to. But I would also say if anyone's interested in Campfire Wiki and the project itself, even if you're not, you know, feel like you have the time to, you know, really edit it or, or become involved, if you even have feedback, you know, feedback is really useful for those of us who, you know, are working on it. If you could just say, oh, this article could be improved. Here are some ideas, you know, you'd like to see fleshed out. Feedback can go a long way. And, you know, uh, the Operation Uplift email is in the chat. And uh, anything you can do to suggest ways it could be made better or even more relevant is probably quite well welcome. Absolutely. Um, okay. All right. Well, let's say uh, let's say our goodbyes there. Diane and Matthew both appear to have had to step out, and um, we thank them both very much for joining in. And Cody, Gabriel, thank you both very much for joining us today. I've had a lot of fun talking with you guys, and um, look forward to uh, the next opportunity. Thank you. All right. Oops, I took myself out instead of Gabe. 
Um, funny how that works. Well, yes, thank you for watching. Um, th there's been a uh, very robust discussion uh, in the locals chat running yurt.locals.com. Thank you to 72 pine cones and tonica visceral adventure, Jack Saru, and uh, yeah, the whole OU gang, everybody who's watching on Rumble. And yes, as Miss Weasel points out, it is important to let people know that there is indeed a campfire wiki to begin with. Um, I think part of the issue is uh, if, if people don't know it exists, people will not use it. So campfire.wiki, uh, go check it out. It's a place to collect information, historical records on the COVID-19 uh, declared pandemic and associated topics. Um, thank you so much. I have been Liam Sturgis and we will see you again. Uh, tomorrow for our weekly locals supporters only exclusive become a supporter or a free member at www.roundingtheearth.locals.com and we will see you tomorrow. Mm -hmm.